Welcome to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Getting Common covers a variety of topics and features guests from business, law, politics, government, education, and some of the most insightful entrepreneurs. It's a refreshing, common-sense approach to some of the most important discussion points today. Now, here is your host, Carlos Chapman. Hello, everyone. I'm Carlos Chapman, and I am your host of Getting Common. In my day job, I'm an associate professor at Washington and Lee University School of Law. The topic of today's episode is HBCUs versus PWIs. Is there a wrong choice? And I've assembled some professional Black women who have experiences at both institutions to discuss, discuss some of the unspoken issues surrounding college choice. I will allow them to introduce themselves. First, Fallon Hamilton. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. My name is Fallon Hamilton. I am an attorney living in Houston, Texas. Graduated from Texas Southern University Thurgood Marshall School of Law. But my heart belongs to my alma mater, Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I graduated with a degree in political science. So thank you for having me. No problem. I'm very excited. I should say both these women are also personal friends. So we are going to have to try to stay on task today. That's going to be the struggle. Struggle. All right, now, um, Shannon, Shannon Stokes, you're allowed to introduce yourself now. Yes, yeah, so um, I'd also like to thank you for inviting me to um, this discussion, Carlos. You know, this is a this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because, um, so my name is Shannon Stokes. I'm a native of Houston area as well. And I received my undergraduate degree from the University of Texas at Austin, where I double majored in government and sociology. And I received my uh, law degree at Howard University School of Law in Washington, DC. Um, and I'm currently practicing in the Houston area. And I'm very, very passionate about this topic and passionate about mentoring young black attorneys. So. All right, now what I would like to start with is a discussion of how you made your choices. I attended two PWIs. I went to the University of Texas for law school and Duke University for undergrad. Shannon, you attended University of Texas, a PWI for undergrad, but then Howard for law school. How did you make those choices? Like what went into that? So it's funny because I actually, so one thing to say by way of background that I think fits into the context is that um, I went to the majority of my life, you know, prior to college, I went to large suburban, uh, Houston, majority white high schools. So I was used to being one of pretty much the only black student in my classes, um, all the way up through graduating high school. And so I fell in love with Spelman and wanted to attend Spelman, um, you know, Spelman and UT were the two schools I was um considering and then at the last minute I decided I want to be that far away from home and then also Spelman being a private school Spelman is expensive and so um and so I decided to stay in state and that I wanted to go to the University of Texas because uh, I consider it the best uh the best public school in the state and um so really it was a decision of deciding to go public versus private and then deciding to stay in state near home is how I decided to attend uh, UT Austin at the time. Right, and then what about making the switch to an HBCU for law school? So that is very, uh, I, I had a journey, I would say. And it's, it's, it's funny because I actually, 
um, I had a Zoom call with my college roommates who are, you know, three Black women a couple of days ago, and we talked about some of how um, toxic uh, the UT campus was our freshman year. Um, within the first week, honestly, the first like two days of being on campus, there was a racial incident where, um, so at the time, we had uh, one of the only statutes of, um, of Martin Luther King Jr. on campus, on what was called East Campus at the time. And um, it was vandalized in the middle of the night. And so it turned into this huge thing. And then we find out that, you know, it gets vandalized often and nothing was really being done about it. So it was one of those, like, you're 17 years old, you're dropped off by your parents and it's like, oh, they don't want us here, you know? So mm. there was like, immediately get on campus and there are, the, you know, the Black Student Alliance is automatically like uh, organizing a sit-in, right? So that was like, welcome to UT thing. But then also just that freshman year, um, multiple incidents throughout the entire year. So that was also, there was a situation where there were, flyers being um, broadcast around campus of, you know, a caricature of a black man. And it was saying, you know, not to have sex with black men because they carry STDs. That was being plastered around campus. There was wow. an incident where there was a black male student who was racially profiled in the student union by the UT police department. And there was also an incident with the fraternity parties where there was a ghetto party where they wore blackface and took a bunch of offenses. This is all my freshman year, y'all. <laughs> and so, did they you know, it was just party? like, they wow. still did the party with the lawn jockeys when you were there, right? Did they do that? Yes, yes. And so this was all back to back. And so it was like around February of my freshman year that like the racial profiling incident is what really brought things to a head also. Uh, where then we started having these town halls because at this point, you know, the black students on campus are like, what is going on? So, and then y'all know the drill where there's a, there's a task force and all of this. And oh, so wow. all of this is going on in the back of my mind, my first time away from home and just, you know, it just felt toxic. And that stayed with me the entire four years. And so when I talked to uh, my fellow classmate, black classmates specifically that were there during that era, it's 50-50, you know, because I'm still grateful for the opportunity and for the people that I met and the experience, but that stuck with me forever. Um, I will be honest that I became a little jaded towards the university during that era because, I mean, more things, don't, let's be clear, more things happened the entire four years. Carlos, you know that, having gone there uh, shortly after I graduated, but I remember just feeling sometimes like I was an RA and, you know, I lived in a dorm where I was one of the only black students and like seeing my white classmates and seeing that they got to just be, they got to just exist. Right. So it's like, I'm over here suffering and in pain, you know what I mean? In addition to attending class and learning and they got to just be, and it wasn't their fault. Right. Like my friends went with me to the sit-ins. Right. But it was just a matter of like, why can't I have that? you know, um, like I said, it's a journey. And so all of that was going on in the back of my mind. I always knew I, I arrived at UT knowing that I wanted to go to law school. And so, um, senior year, I was, at, uh, I was on my way to an African-American studies class. Um, and, uh, there was a law school fair at the student union. And I, I went in there just to pick up some brochures and get the vouchers for free, uh, applications and met, uh, Dean Reggie McGahee, who Carlos, I'm sure you, you met and know. And I remember, you know, 
he was talking to me about the school and I just looked at him and I said, I'm going to go there. And he was like, yeah, okay, girl, you know, apply and maybe we'll accept you. And I was like, no, I will be going. I will see you in the fall. And, um, you know, went to my class and sat down next to my best friend, who's also a lawyer and ended up going to UT law. And like, I only applied to Howard and um, Emory, uh, specific reasons for why I chose Emory as well. But it, I didn't even consider going to UT law because I was so ready to get out of wow. that environment. Um, and Carlos, maybe you can talk to uh, the environment at the law school, but I knew from my classmates some of that, right? And so I was like, I'm not doing that again for you know three more years. And um, when I made the decision, like a lot of, because I had friends that ended up doing WT and mentors tried to talk me out of it, tried to talk me into transferring, said I was making a mistake, like who goes mm-hmm. to UT for undergrad and doesn't try to go to the law school. But um, I, like I said, that stayed with me the entire four years. And so that's what led to me deciding that I wanted to go somewhere where I could just be and where I knew that I could thrive. You know what I mean? Where I knew that people would be invested in my success. Um, and I can get into more of that later. That was a very long explanation, but that's all that went into it. It was a lot. <laughs> I think it's always a journey if you go to a PWI. And um, I will reserve my comments until after, <laughs> until after Fallon, who you know went to two meccas, will explain how she made her choices of, of having a double HBCU experience. So just the the monologue that you just gave makes me want to hug you and I and I feel for like my friends like my I have a goddaughter she goes to LSU right now so this is the majority PWI across town from my HBCU and just the idea of how it's like two different worlds like I just feel so like want to hug you just from those experiences so for me the choice was never really anything but of course, everybody in my high school, I was in honors classes, so I was one of maybe like five Black girls that was in class, but we went to a Black high school, so it was kind of like, okay, I did have a Black experience if I walked down the hallway, but as far as in class every day, it's like myself and maybe four of the Black girls, so it was like, okay, we all were like, we're gonna go to HBCUs, we're gonna do our thing. I think one of my friends, Amanda, she was like, oh, I'm gonna go to Spelman, and somebody else like Clark, and I'm just like, okay, let me think of schools to go to. Southern was not my first choice. Um, I hate to say that every time I'm having this HBCU discussion, I kind of hold my head down in shame because it wasn't my first choice. And now I would not have chosen anything else but to save my life on any given day. But I wanted to go to Xavier. I grew up in one of those Black households where it was like your measure of success is, okay, you're either going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, or you're going to be a teacher. And I didn't want to be around children. So I'm like, all right, I'll go to Xavier. I, I guess I'll just be a doctor. Like, that was my mentality. Glad to Xavier got in. Of course, that's a private school. They offered me a scholarship that would not cover the totality of the thousands and thousands of dollars that would have been the bill for going there. So I was kind of like, eh, maybe I'll go somewhere and state, whatever. And then my aunt was like, oh, I applied to Southern for you and I'd send your stuff to the Honors College. And I was like, Southern, like, okay. I knew my mom went to Southern. I knew my aunt. I have an uncle who was a professor at Southern in that in Shreveport. And I'm kind of like, ah, eh, I guess I'll take a look at it, whatever. So I, you know, go college visit. 
I crossed the hump, the legendary hump to get on our campus on the side of the beautiful Mississippi River. I see just all this blackness, just all this, just, it smelled like cocoa butter and like aspirations over the hump. And I was like, okay, there's no doubt in my mind that I am coming here. And you say just to be like, even as a senior in high school, I think I visited Southern in March, maybe of my senior year. I came back to Houston, like, oh, I go, I'm, I'm a Southernite. Like, this is my opportunity to just be. Like, I just felt that warm embrace and I never wanted to look back. And yeah, it's a lot of things that were going on across town at the other school in Baton Rouge and I would just be like oh my god I can't believe y'all got nooses on the car we're over here celebrating black history all year like we are getting a whole different experience and I just I couldn't even imagine who I would be had it not been for my HBCU so that's that's kind of my background on that one what about staying for law school you obviously had choices so yeah, well, for law school, I kind of was like, if I stay on this campus, I'm not going to be a lawyer because I was like very much so deep into the Southern University experience by that time. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody I know that went to Southern is successful as all get out, but we party hard during our four years there so that we can work even harder when we get out. So I'm like, I think I need to come back home so that I can have some supervision if I really want to be vigilant about becoming an attorney. So I only applied to TSU and I kind of was like, all right, it's going to be this. And then my other option, I was like, I'll think about doing Teach for America, but then I'm, I don't really like kids. I gave it to God and he was like, well, guess you're going to TSU. And there was completely different experience because that is the most diverse law school in the country for it to be at an HBCU. So it wasn't just the same thing on the campus of the law school. It was like a mesh of people from all over the world. So it's like, okay, I still feel like I'm being, but I'm also getting that dose of reality because I'm existing and being with people who are not just like me. So Texas Southern was not what I would have anticipated as far as like the the culture from the law school experience for HBCU versus undergrad, but I still feel like I was welcomed there. I didn't have any moments where I did not feel like I was welcomed or there was going to be a hate letter passed around campus or something else egregious like that. I always felt like I still could just be. I'm just, I'm jealous because that was not my educational experience. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I would say, you know, I have, I have a similar background as y'all did, you know, like one of the four at most black kids, we had one black boy, we had Kenny, right? So <laughs> it was like us and Kenny, you know, yeah. and y'all all know the, y'all know the other three black women who were in my classes, right? It was like yep. me and Janine, right? Like y'all know them, just like I know the other people in Fallon's class, like yeah. that's how few of us there are often. Um, and so you know, I think what's interesting is I had the exact same experience that Shannon had of, I am one of four or five, I want to go to Spelman or Howard, applying to Spelman and Howard and getting less money, <laughs> like getting less financial aid and having a come to Jesus moment, like with my parents, like we are not independently wealthy. Um, and so uh, 
you might want to go ahead and consider one of those PWIs that have given you more money. Um, and so that's how I ended up at Duke undergrad. I actually got more money from Duke than I got from Spelman. And that's how I ended up there. Um, and I think we all kind of had Spelman in our heart. I mean, I think everybody, every black girl does, right? You're just like, oh. yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very true. Like you want to go there and I just couldn't afford it. And so it made me very sad. Um, but, you know, I went to Duke and similar to Shannon, nooses around uh, around trees and racial profiling and sit-ins and you know I was just like is it the 60s like why are we doing this um very much my Duke experience um but I think not as bad as UT and I say that as someone who went to UT right yep. so yep we, we had a black we had you know we had a little black community at Duke um we had 12 percent black people um, and so while the whole campus didn't smell like cocoa butter and aspirations, central campus did. <laughs> so, you know, I could have my part of campus that smelled like cocoa butter and aspirations. Um, and I have an escape. So that helped. I just, I just have a reaction to that. 12% is incredible because when I was at that UT, is. we were at 3%. Yeah, you know, now, I, obviously, UT is much bigger, but still, mm -hmm. you know, 3%. And so for Duke to have 12%, and I know a lot, a lot of uh, Black Duke students. And so mm -hmm. I have a, another question for you about uh, your your statement about Duke as a PWI. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, and I will say, I know that 12% is a big difference from two or three, because I then went somewhere with two or three for UT. And that critical mass makes a difference. So if I, you know, if I have anything to say to people about how to pick schools, it's one, look at the money because while, you know, I had the experience I had and Shannon had the experience she had and Felon had the experience that she had, we all went to what was the least expensive from a student loan standpoint option mm -hmm. for us. And I think that makes a difference for the rest of your life. Yeah. What when it came to picking a law school, um, you know, I only applied to T25s and UT was the best value. And I kind of thought I knew what I was getting into because it is the number one law school in the state of Texas. It's a T15. Mm -hmm. It's a state school. I paid in-state tuition. I took out no private loans at all for law school. And I thought I endured one PWI. I can survive UT, but I did not know what it was going to be like to be one of 16 Black people in a class of 400. Yep. Um, and the class above me only had eight out of 400. Um, that is extremely different. Yes. Right? Extremely different. So I'll let Shannon ask her follow-up question. Well, um, no, so I mean, part of what I was going to say is, you know, one of the things when you brought up this topic and said, you know, things, that, advice that you would, would have. So there's the financial aid aspect. And then also, you know, all, all PWIs are not, are not created the same and all HBCUs aren't created the same. Right. So I think we're going to get into more of this in the discussion about the right decision for you. But one thing I, you know, I wanted to make sure to say is that it's not a one is better than the other from a like elitism standpoint. Right. I think it's a very personalized what you need based on your experiences and what you're looking for. You know, it's different. You know what I mean? The offerings, not the quality of the education, you know. And so to your point, um, I have the same, you know, opinion as far as if you have certain grades and you know that you're trying to go into certain careers, there are certain schools that automatically come to mind, right? Like Fallon Venture and yeah. Major, it's because everyone knows, you know, to I mean a black person wanting to go into, you know, medicine, you know, Xavier is like top of 
top of mind. You know what I mean? Um, and so, um, you know, and to your point, Carlos, about the critical mass, you know, I remember, you know, a good friend of mine that was a double black UT person and I'd already been at Howard for a year. And um, when she was calling me, um, telling me that she was going to decide to go to UT. And what I told her is I was like, of course, you know, it's a top school. However, I was like, because the other thing is, is that, um, Carlos, I'm sure you can relate to too, is the Black students tend to congregate together, even at PWIs. It's like the, mm-hmm. you know, the famous book, you know, why do all the Black children sit together at lunch, right? Well, you know, when there's 3,000 out of, even if it's out of 50,000, that isn't as drastic. I didn't do that in undergrad. You know, I made sure to keep a diverse, you know, network just because that's also what I was used to. But um, I told my friend, do not get to UT Law where you have eight Black people and only spend time around the Black people because your network is what's most important as a professional. And you cannot leave that school only having relationships with the eight other Black people because then you're doing yourself a disservice, right? So. Wow. Even if you know that like on paper, okay, this is a high ranked school. If you turn around and, and you graduate and you can't call up classmates or professors or, you know, to help you get interviews or to give you advice or to connect you with other people, you know, you just having that institution on your resume is not going to be a differentiator, right? Because there's hundreds and hundreds of other students being churned out from the same institution. So you're competing with your own classmates for certain jobs, right? And so that's when relationships, and this is regardless of what school you go to, PWI, HBC, whatever it is, you know, we've worked long enough to know that the relationships is what really gets you, you know, your school may get you the interview, but how you show up in your relationships is what actually gets you the job and like for you to actually, you know, stick around. And so, um, you know, that's why it's important the social component of higher education, not just the education itself, which is important, but the social component of it is very important as well. See, just from you saying that, it it makes me think this. Just from my thinking, I would think the goal would be to congregate with those eight Black students because your network will be those eight Black students when you get into the practice of law because it just seems like for me, yes, I went to an HBCU for law school, but when you get out in the real world, regardless of where you went to law school at, in the legal field, you're still looked at as that Black person. So we're all on that equal playing field. Most of the navigating and mentors and just kind of assistance that I've seen most people, myself personally, getting has been through that network of Black people. It's been through that network of, hey, we went to xyz but we're balsa okay so this is our network like it just seems like it would be the opposite um especially since like for i guess someone who's a double hbcu graduate your first dose of the real world for me at least was in the practice of law where i'm the only black person in the in the courthouse if i'm in the civil courthouse because everybody's over here at the criminal courthouse or at the family law courthouse so you are the minority again Mm -hmm. like at that point i'm searching looking for another familiar face i've had people that went to ut it's like okay i remember you from balsa we gonna sit right here at the front Mm -hmm. and we gonna conquer this docket together like that would be my mentality since it still seems like it's a us against them outside and practice also 
I mean, and I agree, like, of course you're going to become friends, hopefully with the other eight. What I'm saying is don't exclusively, like you still have to make a concerted effort to build a network, a diverse, like Carlos did. I mean, I've met several of Carlos's classmates who are, you know, beyond, I don't think I even did. I think I might've met maybe two of your black UT law classmates. Most of your classmates that I've met are not right. Because if you only have, you know, eight versus, you know, Fallon, you and I coming from an HBC, HBC law school, and I have hundreds of people that I can call up, you know, with, mm-hmm. we've never even met before. And they're going to help me just because I have the same institution. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, it, it makes it harder on yourself if you don't make a concerted effort to make sure that you're broadening, broadening your experience. You know, I think that's a great point that Shannon's making because, you know, if you are counseling a child to choose, And the trauma of the things that Shannon and I went through makes you go into a hole and not socialize and not engage with your your institution, Mm -hmm. you should not go to a PWI, right? If if you don't, like, you know, I I think that when I think about who is most successful from Duke and from UT, um, there's a level of strength required. Um, You need, there's a level, and I think if you, like, I was used to being the only black kid in class if I didn't take, you know, anytime I got outside of the general classes, anytime I took something specialized, the other three or four black girls weren't there, right? So mm-hmm. it could be just me with 20 or 30 people all the way through school. So, you know, when I would get, you know, leave the black bench at Duke or leave the black table in the cafeteria, like I was fine being the only black person in class because that was my experience. But, you know, if you've got the double trauma of it being, the first time you've ever been the only black person being away from home. And I don't know how else to describe what happens to black students on PWI campuses other than to say that it is violence. Like, it, like I, the more that I experience it, especially on this other side as a professor, I have to acknowledge that it is violence that we don't call violence. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the, you know, you know, the term microaggression sometimes is overly used, but honestly, the thing, it just starts to get to you over time because it's not even necessarily over. And to your point, Carlos, I was used to being the only two, but I was also used to being the only with students that I grew up with. Like I went to elementary school, junior high and high school with the same white students, right? In, in my public school system in that neighborhood. And so we knew each other and it was, none of that type of stuff didn't happen at my high school. You know what I mean? And I went to school in one of the school districts that's all over national news right now for banning books. So it was by all accounts, a conservative, um, you know, environment. Um, and, um, but I still, you know, for me, it's just, uh, like I said, I reached a point where I was just like, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere where I know that people are invested in my success, right? Like when I got there, I remember during orientation, I will never forget my first day during orientation. um, And the student body president gave a speech where he said, this is at Howard. He was like, look to your right, look to your left. It is our job to make sure that the people on both sides of you are there at graduation. And we are going to cross the finish line together because we're a family. And it felt like a family all three years. Like I stay at one of my professors' houses when I go to DC. That's how close we are, you know? And um, so to me, it was almost like, you know, Fallon, you mentioned the real world. And it's funny because I kind of, you know, get a little, uh, my tentacles go up sometimes when people say, oh, 
you know, I don't want to go to an HBCU because I want to experience the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, I reject that, you know what I mean? Because one, I think that Ta-Nehisi Coates has the best description of what it's like to be of, of, the, of the cultural aspect of being on an HBCU campus when calling Howard the Mecca mm-hmm. because it was the diversity of Blackness. Yes. Any form of Blackness you could ever think of in your world, like you will find your twin. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm talking literal royalty, like African royalty Mm -hmm. on campus, along with first generation uh, uh, students, you know, along with like, you know, we joke the Whitley Gilberts all the way down to like, you know, people who, you know what I mean? Self-funded through, you know, everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's like, having that cultural experience also just opens up your eyes and just like really challenges you to, um, to, to, you know, remove preconceived notions and really just like elevate higher. I don't know how else to describe it. Like for me, I probably, Carlos, you say kind of, you know, the, the, the trauma, and this is not to bash UT, my alma mater, right? It's, I didn't know the way it impacted me, certain things that had happened until I got to Howard. I didn't know I was smart. You know, I mean, I always excelled in school, but I was like, well, everybody's smart here. You know, it's law school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the first semester grades came out, you know, that it was like, oh, you know, and it's like my professor that I'm close with now, she's like, yeah, you kind of sit in the corner all shy and timid, you know what I mean? And it's like stand in your power, right? Like, you know, to me, Howard didn't just teach me how to be a lawyer. It taught me how to be a black lawyer, mm-hmm. right? It was the non- pure you know what I mean contracts is contracts Carlos is a professor but you know unless you have a Carlos on your campus they're not going to teach you how to navigate the profession of the law as a black person because the way we navigate the profession is different Mm -hmm. than the way you know others right and that's and that's why I'm like yeah I would think the consensus would be to gravitate towards the other black students because just as you just said like that the way that you're practicing as a black person is different but I feel like just speaking from UT do you feel that out in practice I guess for college because you went to UT for law school and you went for undergrad do you feel like in the actual practice of law that UT just was it more of a reality once I got to my law firm because this is how it was at school versus coming from a HBCU law school like the both of us where it's a different type of reality did you feel like that was like more of a leg up for you when getting acclimated to the actual practice of law for me for going to from going to UT mm-hmm. um, you know there's a good transition to like what the pros and cons are which is kind of our next topic and like the unspoken issues um the UT law network is unbelievable um it, I can, I have been anywhere in the world. I mean, and I actually have two schools with very good networks. And so in choosing both of my schools, you know, I luckily had mentors who explained the importance of networking and the importance of, so like when I went to Duke, you know, I had an uncle who told me, did you know that Duke gets some of the most black people into graduate school and the most people into med school other than HBCUs? And it's like, you definitely want to go to grad school and you, you know, you think you want to go to law school. You definitely want to go to grad school. If you don't go to law school, you know, this is the undergrad that, that does well for black people and that helps black people have networks. So I had that insight by having an uncle who had a PhD and could inform me and going to UT for law school. I had a mentor who said, are you aware of how strong Texas X's are 
all across the world. Um, and there is something special about being a Texas grad to the point that I think there are certain offices you will not be elected to unless you have a UT or a AM on your resume. Mm-hmm. And it just is what it is. And so that is something that no one can ever take away from you. And so even though you suffer through it, um, so I definitely think like my first, well, even just my high school, I went to Lamar High School. My first, my interview at Vincent and Elkins, which is the first law firm where I went, worked. I went into the interview with the managing partner at the time of the litigation section. And he said, oh, you went to Lamar and started singing my high school fight song. Mm. That's the kind of stuff that like, you can't put a dollar value on, right? Yeah. To walk into a law firm where they go to UT every year, they hire 50 to 100 UT students every year. The managing partner is a UT grad and it's an AMLA 100 firm. You know, you can't trade that in. But that doesn't mean that there aren't law firms that have the same thing for Howard and other law schools. You have to think about where mm-hmm. you want to work and what you want to do. It might not be a yep. law firm that has that. It might be an agency or a DA's mm-hmm. office, right? So knowing that I, I want, I need to make as much money possible because I self-funded my education and I had to pay off my loans. I knew I needed to work in big law. So I was either going to a, a, a T15 in a different state that was going to guarantee me AMLA 100 or I was going to UT and I was just going to have to suffer because um, I knew I needed the money. Mm-hmm. So that's funny you say that because I have a similar story for how I got my uh, got into VE as a 1L for the summer is I got in through Howard. So mm-hmm. after my first semester grades, um, my mentor, who also went to UT undergrad and Howard for law, and he graduated a year before me. So I called him when I got in and he told me, Shannon, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. And if you come here, you won't regret it. You know, and I knew I wanted to go anyway. When I went there, he was my mentor when I got there too. I, he worked there the summer before. Once I got my grades and I sent them to him, he emails them to the only uh, black female partner at the time who went to Howard for undergrad and Penn for law. And so because I had the grades, she was in the DC office. She got me an interview with D- in D- the DC office and said, oh, you're from Texas. Do you want to split your summer in Houston? And this is where I will be honest. If I hadn't also had a UT degree, the Houston office probably wouldn't have uh, agreed to interview me as well and give me the offer to come that summer as well, right? And so that's how I got in there, right? And then the way I ended up getting to the firm that I actually went to was because they had maybe 10 uh, diversity fellowship uh, positions every summer. And four of them were for specific institutions and then the other six were at large. And so there was a large pipeline. And, uh, you know, I went to a top three law firm and it was, you know, they had a dedicated fellowship just for Howard Law. So I will say that Howard Law's law firm um, pipeline is strongest or at the time it was along the East Coast, full disclosure on that. Um, over time, it is uh, expanded in, in, in other markets, but like New York and DC, you know what I mean? Like without question, there's a strong pipeline for that. But to get to your, your, you know, your question about the real world for me, I would say, you know, and UT preparing me for it, it did. And, and this is how I'll say that. I, you know, the environment I grew up in, I was very sheltered, very sheltered, you know, um, and like knew, obviously I'm a, a black person in America about these things, but it never happened to me until I got to UT. But if 
I do I feel like I needed that to happen in order for me to be successful in navigating the professional world? Absolutely not. No. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I mean, some of the most successful people I know, period, have not only two, but three degrees from HBCUs. Mm-hmm. And so just getting into the how to make a decision, it's individualized based on you, like what you, that student, that person needs, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know, it might be based on classroom size. It might be, I mean, there's so many different factors. And so I would just encourage to, you know, students and, and parents that are counseling their students and making the decision to think broader about like the individual student that they need. Because another thing that, you know, occurred to, to me um, in making my decision is I went to a high school that had very large classes. We were a big high school and UT, you know, as freshman year, you know, there are people sitting on stairs in, you know, psych 101 because there weren't enough desks because we were so overcrowded. Then I go to Howard Law, you know what I mean, where it's 150 people total in the entire, you know, entering class. I knew everybody of all three years at the law school when I was, you know, there. And so night and day difference. And it's like, I needed that. I needed a smaller classroom size where we could know each other. And there was a community a community, you know? And so in the all HBCUs not being created equal and the all PWIs not being created equal, I would add that like there are, and Carlos and I talked about this, there are some PWIs that have a strong community and pipeline for Black students. And so it's very important when considering PWIs to ask these types of questions of the people who are actually there, um, the reputation, you you know? So not just what you can find online, but just asking people, you know, out in the community. And then to Carlos's point, look at the jobs that you think you may want, any of the jobs you think you may want. And the advantage of LinkedIn now is you can look up people by their schools and see the type of positions that they're in and see, you know, the types of schools that they went to. Um, And that can, you know, give you a better idea also. I think, you know, that's a very, that's an extremely important point because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think about, you know, there, there are 15 law schools in the, in the T15, right? As we say, um, of that 15, I can probably only list two or three that consistently black lawyers do well and are at the top every single, like in yep. every aspect of the law, there are graduates of certain law schools that mm-hmm. are at the top and it's not necessarily Harvard and Yale, right? Yeah. Right not the schools you think they are. So it is very important to get on the internet and look at where people went, who look like you, who do what you want to do, went to school, PWI, HBCU or not. Yeah. Now, you asked us, you know, do we, did we feel that we were more prepared for the real world? Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to hear from you, you know, you going to two HBCUs, do you feel like you, you're missing anything or you missed out on anything? I absolutely don't. I think whereas you guys were getting like the trauma and having to be tough, we were getting fed into and poured into and just the confidence to know that you are the baddest whoever you want to be and that you can be anything that you want to be. So just all that affirmation, just seeing so much Black success, Black unity, just Black people thriving, it's kind of like you come out of school with no other choice but to be successful Mm -hmm. because that's all you're seeing your professors are telling you that you are the best like it's a lot of affirmation um 
and I, it's more than that. The education is there. They're teaching you what you need to know. The same curriculum is across the board. There were people from other universities coming on our campus to take engineering classes because better professor or whatever. Like you're getting the same education. It's just that extra love and just seeing kind of just the pinnacle of black success that that kind of gives you no other choice but to want to be successful so when I feel like I missed out on I probably missed out on just the oh Aggie ring okay come on guys we got the Aggie rings together like you're in like oh you go to my synagogue okay hey whatever come on in all my kids went here or oh yeah oh miss like whatever all these inner circle things like secret clubs or secret bonds that you get from some of these institutions that don't want us there or did not initially want us there like they had to let black people be a part of that club just a little bit that little bit of the club that they're a part of maybe that's what we're missing but in Houston both of my universities are well known southern is well known and like the oil and gas industry so of course everybody in oil and gas is going to have a connection with somebody in the legal community so they've heard of southern they've heard of TSU they've seen the work that gets done by the attorneys from both schools because they both have law schools where people are coming out of them and winning big cases and doing great things like outside of just feeling like you got the the entryway to the back door of the good old boys club instead of having to crawl through the window to get in that's the only thing I feel like we're missing out of we don't have the the UT shirt to throw on to just break ice break conversations with people or we don't have the hey you know professor xyz that taught here and he's been here 90 years everybody knows him we don't have those inside cheat codes that everybody else has but otherwise I feel like if anything, I'm coming out of school with just more being more convinced that I can do whatever I want to do. And it's going to be just the outside factors that are going to try to tell me that I can't. But I've been told for four years and three years that I can so much that I'm a hustle even harder just to prove those people wrong. So, no, that'll be my and, long and short. answer. <laughs> and then I actually have a theory on that. Like when you look up the statistics and they're all over the place of, you know, how many people across like black professionals across all professions have at least one of their degrees from an HBCU, you know, whether it's, you know, HBCU undergrad. So like the, the top, like, you know, you said before the top, uh, the schools sending people on black people on to medical school are HBCUs. Mm -hmm. I think it's like over 50% of STEM degrees are coming out of HBCUs. Judges, um, doctors. 80, 80, 80% of black judges have at least one degree from an HBCU. 50% of all black lawyers have at mm -hmm. least one degree from an HBCU. So, you know, and I think my theory as to why this is, is exactly what you're talking about as far as confidence not to say that WPW, double PWI or going to the PWI doesn't give you confidence, right? But saying that like HBCUs are so good at it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you, know, uh, you know, a story that I wanted to make sure to say on here because, uh, you know, I think it's also highlights kind of my experiences. I remember after my first year at Howard uh, Law, I went on a girl's trip with my college roommates. Like I said, three um, who were also black women. And, I don't remember, you know, by the second day, one of them said, Shannon, I don't know what happened to you. You came back hating white people. Oh. And I remember being so offended, you know, she was like genuinely concerned, you know, it's kind of like that Instagram meme showing Ashley Banks uh, in the dashiki and saying, you know, uh, goes to Howard homecoming and comes back, you know, militant. 
but I reject that. So I, I said, yeah. and I was like, I reject that characterization. I do not. That's ridiculous. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I found my voice. Okay. I will not sit back for microaggressions or disrespect. So it's like, I stepped into my own and became the person that I am today to speak with confidence and assurance and recognizing that you don't have to put up with the microaggressions and you can, you know, command respect in a professional way, you know, because, you know, a saying my mom always says people treat you the way that you let them, Yep. you know, and you know what I mean? And it's like, being, you know, in an environment where that is removed and you know what it feels like to, to not have to experience that, I'm not going back, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, now that I know what it's like, it's like, and I'm taking that with me everywhere I go. Yes. I can step into the room and I'm the only person, but I know what it feels like and I know what I bring to the table. And so it's like, I'm not as like, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, just, just more sure of myself, mm-hmm. I would say. I feel like the ancestors just smiled real hard and just like gave you a a heavenly hug as they walked down the hill at Howard or whatever y'all say. I think it's the yard, the yard, right? The yard. Yes, the yard, the yard. But then the other thing I would say is, you know, I will say, I thought this was important too. I met, and this was after, I didn't intentionally have one degree from each, but I met a very good friend of mine here um, in Houston that works in the art world. And she said that, both her parents and everyone in her family has a degree from each and all of them did Howard undergrad and then went on to taught PWIs for their graduate school. Like that was a like strategic plan. They did it on purpose so that they would have a network of mm-hmm. both. So I would say that, you know, and this just goes back to the, like what makes the most sense for you and what you need, because I feel like we've had three different explanations for our journeys and we're all pretty much landed similarly similarly yoked you know what I mean and uh you know where it's like I have one of each and so I do I could I could talk about football I could talk about you know you know UT football I could talk about life in Austin I could talk about all of that and then I can also call up anybody you know HBC when you have a degree from an HBCU I feel like all HBCU graduates help you out yeah and try to help you out big family we don't even have to have gone to the same one but it's like oh HBCU you know what I mean? And in general, I will say Black people from PWIs have helped me in my career as well, because I feel like we all want everyone to win. But there's a mm-hmm. different type of grind when you have an HBCU degree, because we know, like Fallon was mentioning, that, you know, you can't walk in with the UT shirt necessarily, bad example, because I can't or whatever, but it's like, but you walking in with your HBCU, we're going to replicate the same thing yeah. among us. Us, yeah, Exactly. The benefit of everyone assuming I went to Howard because I know so many of you. <laughs> you said you want to win. Yeah, that's how you now. <laughs> you want to win the I thought I thought you graduated with us award, Carlos. So You're I, honorary. I have had people tell me I was in their class, and I was like, I was not. I have never. <laughs> um, but thank you. Like I think it's about me that people assume I went to Howard with y'all. So I take. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I think it's the number of homecomings I've been to, to be honest. I believe every black person should attend an HBCU homecoming at some point in your life. It doesn't matter if you go to that school or not, at least once in your life, experience it. Well, I was, I was a, I was a homecoming connoisseur in college. (laughs) (laughs) So I have been to many, um, countless, uh, you know, probably more than I should claim. Mm -hmm homecoming such that people think I actually went to the schools so 
you know, people used to think I went to Central too when I lived it in, in when I was at Duke. So, you know, I will take that, which just is another factor, I should say. You know, if you find yourself at a PWI and a little bit miserable, consider going to a PWI that has HBCUs in the same area. Yes. Like, you know, Emory. Very important. Emory has, you know. Oh, AUC. Right. And, you know, if you go to any DC school, Howard's there. You know, if you go to Duke, uh, you know, Central's there. You know, consider if there is an HBCU close by in case you need refuge and you need yes, like a hug. outlet. Right. Yes. Because you know, I would say, you know, when I was at Duke, that is one thing I will say. The people at Central, even the professors at Central, like, would see us and embrace us because they knew yep. we were. So, you know, HBCUs are not just a refuge for the people who attend them. They can be a refuge for, for everybody. For everybody. We're all in it together. Yes. So here's what I want to close out with, our last segment. What advice would you give? And I'll start with Fallon on this. If you were talking to 16, 17-year-old Fallon, and let's put her fast forward to modern times, you know, post George Floyd, post all this, mm. post what we know about financial aid and, and student loans, would you make the same choices or, or would you would you do things differently? I would absolutely make the same choices. Um, I was blessed to get financial assistance and a scholarship, so I didn't have to pay for undergrad and just that made a world of difference, especially if you're growing up first generation or your family is not independently wealthy. I don't know, maybe modern day Fallon's family would have had a little bit more coins, but if not, <laughs> then I would say go where the money goes, go where you feel like you're at home, go where your major is offered. That's a big one. Like don't just get caught up in the name of the school and waste four years there and they don't even offer your major. I would say, hey, do you want to have family forever or do you kind of just want to have a network? Do you want to have people who are going to always look out for you, regardless of if you're in the airport and somebody sees your sweater and wants to pull you to the front? Like, come on, come with us, your family. Like, go where the love is, go where you're going to be nurtured the most, go where you have the best chance of being the most successful version of yourself as possible. Now, I did do externships. I did do my little semester at a PWI, which I kind of call my forgotten days when I was getting those LSU privileges or whatever. So I, I, I get it. I roomed with diverse people for that semester. It was cool. And that was my little taste. But did I feel like home? No. Um, I think success is going to be yours regardless of where you land. Um, so just make sure that you're investing your time and your money at somewhere that you want to be and mm -hmm. somewhere that wants you to be there and also a place that is going to pour into you and give you every opportunity available, regardless of if that's a PWI or HBCU. Just go where you belong and, you, and you'll know. You'll know the minute you get on your campus if you're yeah. supposed to be there. That's the first thing. That's Two, don't go into debt to get an education when there are so many options to get to the same endpoint that you would always going to end up regardless of which road you take. Like be logical when you're making your decisions, but really just think about your life now 
what you can handle, what you want to handle, and and go where you're going to be poured into. Advice I would give Fallon of that age, because otherwise, I don't I don't even know if I would have been able to handle the trauma, the microaggressions, and all these things. Um, and I just don't want to see children getting their spirits broken or like just having to deal with all that stuff. It's it's hurtful and it's ugly. And I know the world is not the most sunshine and rainbowy place, but I feel like at least for those four years, while you're cultivating who you're going to be and becoming an adult at least be somewhere that's safe for you. At least let it be somewhere that you're not going to have to deal with all that trauma. All right, now Shannon, well said. Would, you tell, would you tell young Shannon to do the What would you tell young Shannon? So, such a hard question, Kylis, because I'm grateful for my journey and, and where it got me. I think I would tell Shannon to do more research, talk to more people, get a better understanding, apply to more schools, right? Like for me, it was very like UT or Spelman, that's it, right? Uh, But I agree with Fallon on the financial aid part because I mean, uh, I didn't mention the scholarships that I got from Howard, but it's like between UT and Howard, you know, my entire, you know, uh, post high school education, I was also self-funded and, you know, had very low debt. And um, so that is very, very important because the freedom that I was afforded being able to graduate, you know, um, without that over me. But I would say that I would do it. I would, I would, so I would do it all over again, but I would go into UT with eyes wide open, right? Um, I would be, you know, just a little bit less naive, you know, um, because I think that that experience was important and I'm very grateful for my friends and, um, the people I met during it and the doors that were opened. Um, and for me, it all ended up working out because it's like, I don't know if I hadn't gone to UT for undergrad, would I have gone to UT for law? I mean, to Howard for law, you know, um, I probably would have done something similar to you, Carlos, and come home. Right. Because it's like, it's Texas you know, private, public, and then maybe have ended up in the same situation, you know, the same experience uh, by nature of going, you know, to, and this is not to bash you, you be a bash UT because it's like, when I talk to my friends who were there the same time I was, when all of that was going on on campus as well, some of them don't even remember it. It didn't impact them the way that it impacted me. And this is why I say again, it's such a personal decision, you know? Um, and so I would just tell Shannon to like, just do a little bit more research, talk to more people, um, you know, and also um, not to be afraid to transfer. Not that I wish I had transferred away yeah. from UT, but it's like, honestly, after freshman year and the way I was feeling after freshman year, I probably should have. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, you know, and uh, in the end it, it worked its way out, but I was, not in a good place uh my freshman year um and so yeah I think and I would just say build the relationships uh regardless of where you go because you're gonna strive you're gonna be successful because it's within you regardless Mm -hmm. it's not the answer isn't the institution that you end up in you know so you know I think if I had to tell young Carlos I think young Carlos would probably still go to Duke um, one, because now they replace all, uh, student loans with grants. So that would have been zero debt. That's important. So, mm-hmm. um, so if what I tell young people is investigate those schools that are doing that, um, 
Desert, Princeton, Stanford, there are lots of, of, of top PWIs that replace all your student loans with grants now. Um, and so that probably would have factored into me going still for undergrad. I might've ended up with a w, double PWI education no matter what, to be honest. Because mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, knowing that I eventually wanted to be a professor, knowing that I wanted to work big law or I needed to clerk for a top judge and doing all those things, I don't know that I would have taken the risk of Howard, mm-hmm. to be honest, for law school. Um, and I probably would have gone to, gone to you know, Duke for undergrad. Although I, I regret not researching HBCUs more. So mm-hmm. I would tell young Carlos, although now HBCUs have that one application. Yep. So it's not what we had when we were kids. So things are different now such that they don't need to do the research that we failed to do because they can do one application for all of them. Um, but I would say, look at the money. Um, and think about your mental health and who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think I'm strong enough to withstand it. I'm loud no matter what, but not everybody is Carlos and not everybody is Shannon, you know? And so if you don't have that persona that is going to be big and bold and loud, um, you know, you might not survive a PWI. So consider who you are and who you are as a person. All right, we've got one minute to close. So I just want to thank both of you for being here. Um, as you can see, you know, good girlfriends and we just kind of get to talking and there is no script. So, you know, thank you both for sharing your personal experiences. I know it's hard to talk about, you know, some of our more traumatic things. And so thank you for sharing. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to Getting Common. If you ever miss an episode, you can catch three broadcasts anywhere podcasts are played, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts or on the Voice America Network. And you can catch us on our YouTube channel. Join us next week when my guests are Dr. Richard Jones and Professor Tamara Taggart. And we will continue my Black History Month spotlight on Black women's issues in an episode that discusses some of the reasons behind the health disparities. Thank you all for listening. Feel free to follow me on all social media platforms at, at Carla C. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Please join us again next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thoughtful discussion.